Welcome to Footy for Two. I'm Solomon Dubner. I'm Stephen Dubner. You are our special guest. I'm George Atala with the NFL Players Association. Hey, thank you for being here. We're still in the nation's capital, if you don't count Moscow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he went, he went. Heck of a start. <laughs> World Cup prep, I see. Yeah. So, thank you for being here. We've known you for a few years. You're a great friend of the pod. Do the Men and Blazers trademark that? I, I believe so, yeah. All right. So, we know American football. We'll call it football on this show, I think, in this episode. We usually call it football because I'm annoying. We usually call it American football. So, we'll call it football, football, and soccer, soccer. Okay. All right. So, you're a soccer fan, too. So, you're an Arsenal fan. So, I'm going to start with a simple question. Then you're in or out? That is really tough to answer right off the get-go. I'm going to stay in. Really? Yes. It's a pretty controversial yeah. uh, position to take at the moment, but I think the issues with the club go beyond Crunk the a. manager. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's lost it all the way, but I do think that there is a residual uh, decline yeah. given some of the issues that we had. Uh, in the move of the new stadium and finances. Yeah. And I think you're only starting to see the the transfer shackles come off in the last couple of yeah, years. And it takes true. time. That's true. You, you've made big signs. Aubameyang, Lacazette, McIntyre doesn't really count financially because it's no, more he of a doesn't. swap. No. But I think he's going to be a great player. Um, now, that does, that's not to say that the manager hasn't made mistakes. Yeah, of course. He's made mistakes. But until somebody identifies the heir apparent, yeah. I do not want to fall into Manchester United. That's true. Post Sir Alex uh, days, which yes. people forget, like they, those were pretty bad days for United, and oh, yeah, even now with seventh, Jose, yeah. I don't they think still they, haven't come out of it yet. Yeah, I I like seeing Jose suffer, but we're not. That's uh, not yes, about. that's Who actually fantastic yeah. for me too. I saw going on a tangent. I saw on Twitter today, so. Jose's been complaining about everything Pep does because he, I think, has an inferiority complex. He does. Completely. I think it's a lot like the Ronaldo Messi thing, but that's not what this episode's about. So I'll try not to go into that like I usually do. Um, <laughs> but Pep in Manchester, he rescued a litter of kidders, a lit, litter of kittens. <laughs> and I just want to see what Jose says about that. I feel like he's going to talk about how it was wrong. Don't you think that could happen? I think it's I That's think most definitely possible. Put it this way. If you put it in any sort of context about how somebody else is better than he is or how yeah. he needs to have an excuse for a loss or why they got it bounced from the Champions League or why his transfer budget wasn't as big as cities, even though when it you look at the numbers it was. You know, all this stuff. Um, you know, I I'm an Arsenal supporter first and I'm a Schadenfreude. Jose Mourinho, supporter second. <laughs> Watching his decline at Chelsea yeah. was a lot of fun. It was. About Arsenal again, do you think, I think there are a lot of great candidates for a place Wenger. I think Tuchel, who used to be at Dortmund, yep. uh, Sarri from Napoli, Jardim from Monaco. I feel like, I don't think he's ne- Wenger's completely necessarily lost his football brain, his tactical thoughts, but I think he's lost a dressing room. I th- I don't think players love playing for him the same way they do. Like, for example, Sanchez, one of the reasons he came when he could have gone to Liverpool with Gerrard, who had just come off a second-place finish, and went to Arsenal, was Wenger, but clearly he wasn't happy with him three or four years later. I think the problems run deeper than just the manager. And I do agree with and, that for sure. And, you know, Arsene himself admitted that there was um, a major problem last year when his future was in doubt. 
yet again, and he felt like the dressing room had been lost to a certain extent because there were a lot of doubts and questions surrounding his own future. Once that cleared up, they went on a run. Yeah. They played fine. But, but I, I think, think any uh, locker room uh, or any dressing room, as they call it uh, across the pond, yeah. tends to get lost or has the potential to get lost if there are doubts about who's leading your club. That, um, he is the longest-serving manager by a long shot in in the Premier League. And I don't think he's necessarily lost, like you said, his football brain, brain his commitment, yeah. his tactical sense. But there are moments during the season where you just wonder yeah. what the heck is going on yeah. over there. Two things. One, I'm sorry. I said football. <laughs> soccer. Yeah, soccer. Two, I see your point, but you're going to finish sixth in the league this year as Arsenal. Yeah. Like, it's depressing. It's it's worse than depressing, I think. I don't know what it is, but like... Losing to Stoke one nothing on the road is depressing. And Stoke's going to get relegated. And I, I see your dad's laughing over here, but it's just like one of those <laughs> things where, you know, and this is a little known secret um, about me that my wife Holly knows. The two hours a week that Arsenal's playing... Are the worst. Are the worst and the best. <laughs> And they're the worst because I've now dedicated two hours of my free time and made it a point to not be around the kids or not have family obligations to try to enjoy those two hours of, of being a fan. Which aren't easy to enjoy. Which aren't easy to enjoy, yeah. right? You know, um, especially when you've got three daughters. Love you, girls. But still. Um, <laughs> and then they go out and play like poop. And that's just... <laughs> It's depressing. You yeah. get mad. Like, I've wasted two hours of my free time. As a Barca fan, I know I'm so spoiled. Like, last year, we, we only won the Copa del Rey. We've made the quarters of the Champions League and finished second league. I thought it was one of our worst seasons ever. And I just like to acknowledge, I like to realize how lucky I am because those two hours for me each week are more of a joy. You watch Messi. I watch the best player You have player nothing of all to time. complain exactly. about. Exactly. I have nothing to complain about, yet I still do. And now I'm feeling bad talking to... Talking to this is like an <laughs> impoverished football fan watching Arsenal every this is week. Really, this is you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. This is making me sad. I think the, uh, <laughs> if I can just butt in for one minute, I, I'd like to say that um, George, um, we're not even going to charge you for this therapy session. Yeah, but I, it but is. I like to think it's cathartic. very valuable. It think, is yeah. very cathartic in a way, but it does remind me that you know, uh, disposable time is probably more valuable than disposable income. Like, yeah. You know, when you as a soccer fan or a football fan or a fan of any team that you root for, you invest your time yeah. in going to the sporting event yeah. or watching the TV or yeah. clearing room on your schedule exactly. to try to, you know, watch to get some joy out of it. And I think the biggest thing that's frustrated me this past year, you know, even though Barca didn't win as much as they usually do last year. Yeah. When you turn on the TV, you knew that you were going to watch Messi. And we'd probably win the game. And you probably either win the game or you have a stylish... Yeah. You know, your your playing style is very trademark. You Who know you're watching the game and you're like... That, yeah. And, yeah. And for us now, we turn on the TV yeah. and it's like... It's boring. Oh my gosh. How many lateral passes can El Nene complete? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, how many that times is Jaka going to give the phenomenal. ball away? How many times is Mustafi going to leave his feet on a challenge and give away a penalty? How many times is Bellerin going to come up the right and not find an outlet and turn the ball back? And yeah. and that to me is a, I mean, the most, actually the funny thing is my most fun two hours watching a game this year was the 3-1 loss to Manchester United. 
Why? They had 25 shots That's, on goal. You played very well. They were up and down the pitch. Just they Dave were peppering De Gea. De Gea. He's they, yeah, and Lacazette played great. Yeah. They pulled a goal back uh, after, you know, they were on the offensive the entire yeah. time. Uh, and then the Liverpool 3-3 draw too because both teams don't know how to defend. Two games I really liked watching because that was the swashbuckling. It was fun. You enjoyed watching. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and there was a... There were the style of Arsenal that we're used to um, was on display. Yeah, I think when Wenger first came to England, his style of football had never really been seen before. It's kind of like it was like a lower tier, but still very good level of a Pep is doing right now. I think there are definitely some big differences, but he was very revolutionary. No one had really seen this real possession, early tiki taka attacking football in England, but now everyone's caught up and. It's not, it's not that unique in world football anymore, I say. It's not, no. And he's got to find... He can he can still play that style. He just needs the players, players to execute exactly. it. And to the players to believe in him, too, I think. Yes. I don't want to talk about Arsenal too much more, really, because we're, we're all going to start crying. <laughs> so let's... <laughs> bring the tissues, Stephen. Bring the tissues. <laughs> so, so I know you're friendly, I think, with your counterpart at FIFA Pro, which is, for everyone who doesn't know, is soccer's equivalent. It's NFLPA, which is the liaison between the players and the governing body. And yeah, so do you think your job's really different? Because for FIFA Pro, it's so many different leagues, so many nationalities and languages. Do you know just really the differences? I'm just curious about this. Yeah, we there are unique challenges to Everywhere, each institution. Yeah. yeah, You know, we clearly are a full-blown labor union, you know, that represents players in their wages, hours, and working conditions. Yeah. Uh, in their American football jobs. Uh, and I think FIF Pro is far more of a commercial representation for their group licensing rights. Yeah. And also they, you know, they do provide support uh, in some of the union context, but they, but each individual uh, players union, whether it's in Italy or England, yeah, France, the more powerful ones. Yeah. Rep, um, represent in the classic union way. Oh. Um, we collaborate a lot with them. We share best practices. We talk about... Um, everything from how we can have safer playing fields to injury prevention to concussion care to transition, uh, post-career, um, and also, obviously, you know, how players can maximize their commercial rights. Mm -hmm. So we do talk regularly, and, you know, we have a tremendous amount of respect, but we've collaborated in a way um, that is far more regularly than it used to be. Yeah, I've realized because FIFA Pro, yeah, it's uh, it's just such a like you said, it's very different because yeah, yeah, it makes sense because you wouldn't expect you it wouldn't make sense if FIFA Pro served every soccer player footballer because there's so many yeah. So I, now this is a hard part that sometimes happens on our show. We're gonna get into politics, so it's gonna be intense. Um, <laughs> so I know you and your family, you're, you're Lebanese. It's very important to you. It there's is. Been a, there's been a Freakonomics episode. What's it called? We could plug it if you want from years ago. What was it called? Um, Successful Diasporas, I think, right? I think it was called something like, what is the most successful immigrant group in America? Yes, something. something like that. So, yeah. My dad featured. Yeah. John Elway. You told John me. Elway, definitely that, that's Lebanese. Just, uh, the Even plug. though he declined comment, made me mad, John. What are you doing, John? <laughs> 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 so, so anyway, so there's a pretty much a lack of prominent Arab players, and as far as I know, coaches and owners in the league. Um, 
Would you like to change this? I assume you would. And if so, how? Because, for example, U.S. Soccer is trying to implement programs to get many more nationalities, not nationalities, but backgrounds in the program. But how would you implement this? You think NFL? It's really, really hard because yeah. we can't even, um, as a business, adhere to the rules that we already have in place about minority hirings. Right? We have this thing called the Rooney Rule in professional American football where minority candidates are supposed to get interviewed for executive positions yeah. and head coaching jobs. Um, we've seen just this past offseason that that hasn't exactly happened in the way that it should. Yeah. So it's not, it's not even working on that level. So when you talk about, I mean, how many Arab Americans play in the NFL, I, you know, I, I should know this. It's kind of embarrassing that I don't. I can't think of any. Um, so, yeah. There's Ode Abouche who plays on the offensive line in Houston. That's one. He's Palestinian American, um, but beyond that, and and John, we joke, but John uh, yeah, John Alouy, uh, he <laughs> did, he definitely is, even though he doesn't want to he doesn't want to go on the record and say. But that's just, I mean, I don't even know how you get to resolving that issue. I'm not yeah. really sure it's a goal of mine. I know yeah. we've got you know a bunch of Arab American executives in our yeah. building. We've got Chris Fawal in the legal department. Ahmad Nassar, who's, a, who's the president of NFL Players, Inc. Um, so, you know, we have tremendous diversity in our workplace at the NFLPA, uh, but just by nature and definition of the sport. I see your point. Also, in a sport that's played so much in America, and people don't really care anywhere that much outside of America. Actually, one country, Israel, like you said, a Palestinian-American, um, Israel, I saw. I went to this workshop recently about how there's um an Israel. Israel has a real football league. I I, I assume you know about this. I do. Ro yeah. Robert Kraft. Did you yeah. see the opening ceremony they had? Uh, I did not. It, no. It, they had like twenty Hall of Famers, including Staubach and Joe Montana, and they're really trying to get a few professional players, whether it be Jewish or Arab Israelis, to the NFL. So that's something to watch for. But yeah, I just think it's so it's hard. It's like it's, it's a tough sport. You, and it's the kind of thing where you want it to happen, but I just feel like it's not easy. Uh, also, Lebanese people don't really like physical contact too much. So <laughs> you really, you really have to, you really have to get a rush out of uh, running full speed at uh, uh, fifteen to twenty miles an hour, and and that's primarily why uh, I try to stick to basketball even yeah. in my old age. Is it true that you played basketball with former President Barack Obama? Yes. Did you win? Maybe. <laughs> he is extremely competitive. Is he good? He's pretty good. So I played twice. Oh. And um, he makes us wait for him. I mean, how dare he's a he? President. Yeah, I got a I got a call one night from a friend of mine who um, works on the games. Used to work on the basketball games with him when he would find leisure time. Um, hey, be ready tomorrow morning, eight thirty a.m. The game. That was the text. And, you know, show up, 8.30. There's a gym in the basement of the FBI building, um, which is not of little consequence these days in the news, as you guys know. <laughs> so we go down there, 8.30, and, you know, adrenaline's pumping, the president's coming, we shoot anyway. jumpers, <laughs> I'm warming up. 10 o'clock comes around before he, before he shows in, <laughs> and he's got the Secret Service entourage, the photographer, and the whole thing. And he makes up, the teams, <laughs> um, for the most part. Were you on this team? 
No, but oh. I did guard him. You guarded it? What position? Uh, well, we don't really have, uh, yeah. you know, the pickup games, you just yeah, yeah. sort of go. I'm terrible at basketball. But the guys who play against him really, really, really want to beat him. And so every time I got the ball, you had guys on my team um, go at him. Go at him. Drop it in his mug. Go but if at you him. him Would the Secret Service just come and destroy you? So that's the other thing. <laughs> the, he, we had played like two weeks after he got elbowed in the mouth. I don't know if you guys remember, remember this that. story. He was playing a pickup game and he got elbowed in the mouth, so he had to wear a mouth guard. <laughs> and we were giving him a hard time yeah. about like you should brand it with 44 and <laughs> you know, what kind of weak sauce is this? And um, it was a really, I mean, really, really cool special experience to to play with him. But he doesn't play fair, and uh, he does. He is uber competitive, more than one would think. <laughs> how doesn't he play? Can you tell us how he does? Like, does he have the secret service come after you? Or? He has very sharp elbows. <laughs> if you're listening, Mr. President, very sharp elbows. You, last thing, last on topic. Just tell me, did you win? Uh, so we play like four or five games, okay. and he won most of them. Unfortunately, oh. he stacks the teams. There's no doubt. <laughs> is he good? Yeah, he could, he's I, definitely I good. I see playing, he looks good, but then you think they wouldn't let any videos go out where he's not good. Uh, no, he can He, he could, can definitely shoot. Yeah. He can definitely he's, he's keep up. He's pretty tall. He can def- but he's gotten, into, he's gotten way more into golf now, um, which is a little bit ironic given, you know, some of the stuff we hear about the current president golfing. But, you know, Obama's not the president anymore. So he's w- gotten way more into golf and um, refining that swing. I think... That instead of a presidential election in 2020, there should be a competition. Obama can be president again, where it's one game of basketball, one game of golf, him against Trump. The winner is president. Uh, wow. I think... Massive cheating. <laughs> that would be like massive cheating going on. You'd have to hire like 75 referees. But, but Trump's better at golf, you said, Dad, right? Trump's a good golfer. Yeah. We sure about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess he plays so much. How could you not be good when yeah. you spend that many? Oh, isn't there like the... Old Malcolm Gladwell, ten thousand hours rule or something. Yeah, he he's played for a long time, and apparently, I've known several people who've played with and against him. Even though he doesn't, uh, even though apparently he considers most putts from about ten feet in to be gimmies. Uh, otherwise, uh, he's supposed to be a very good golfer. And I, from what I can tell, probably quite a bit better than Obama. But if Obama's been spending most of the last year and a half golfing, he might be getting there by now. Can we just lasting? Obama would destroy Trump in basketball, I think. I think he would just be dunking on him the whole game. Why is this even a doubt? I just want to see it. Don't you want don't you want to see this? <laughs> Are we playing on 10-foot hoops or like seven foot hoops? <laughs> uh, all right. So let's try to get back to politics if we can. So during the national anthem protest, I know you spoke out in favor of Colin Kaepernick, which I assume most of the listeners, including me, agree with. Um, but I was wondering, how do you think from conversations, from just in general, knowing these people, do you think most players in the league were kind of comfortable with being thrust into a political spotlight or do you say not really? We have 2,000, roughly 2,000 active NFL players. Mm-hmm. And the range of political viewpoints is as disparate as any you know group of employees in the country. Um, I would say that every NFL player respected the fact that they had the right to demonstrate because it's a purely American value. But the challenge for the players during the season was that the messages got lost as the season went on. And as President Trump 
inserted himself into into the discussion. What started out as one player's demonstration against police brutality became a mass league-wide demonstration against the president of the United States yeah. calling players sons of bitches. Yeah. And so you had that range and, you know, of messages that um, was really hard to manage throughout yeah. the year. But if it was one thing that all 2,000 players agreed to was you have the right to demonstrate it's purely American. There's nowhere in our player contract or in our union contract that says you can't take a knee or you can't sit down or you can't. Mm-hmm make a gesture of any kind during the national anthem and players, um, you know, took advantage of that to demonstrate the things that they were passionate about. One thing I read um, bef- a day or two before the Super Bowl is about how it was the Eagles who were like the social justice team in the league I've heard. They have players, I can't remember who, so I don't want to say because they Malcolm wrong. Jenkins. That's who I, and, I thought, yeah. but I just didn't want to be wrong. Who, I don't remember the exact cause, but they're very involved in charity and education and really treating more just an educated equal America, I'd say, while the Patriots were kind of the Trump team. But I think the Trump team, for the most part, um, I know Kraft is a good friend. He says Brady's a good friend. I'm not sure how true that is. And I don't know. I just It was just the contrast made it to the biggest stage. I know there wasn't that much political focus on the Super Bowl, which honestly, as important as politics is, I think you want the Super Bowl to be about the football. But it just really showed how everything just rose up to the very top of football, but the politics were really mixed in. Yeah, the the political symbolism through the season was not lost on yeah. people. And you yeah. did have, I mean, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, right? Yeah. He, big Trump Jones. supporter, yeah. reported that he speaks to the president regularly. He's come out several times and said, no player on my team is going to kneel. No player on my team is going to demonstrate. Uh, everybody on our team is going to respect the flag, um, which, you know, again, it's not even about the flag, but let's... Then didn't he and his players took the knee Yeah, there. but that yeah. was in the aftermath. I yeah. mean, that was the most... That was surprising. Disney-fied demonstration yeah. I've, I've ever seen, right? Yeah. We're going to come out and take a knee together, and then we're going to stand up for when they actually do the thing. Yeah. Um, so you had, you had, you know, people on political spectrums across all across the political yeah. spectrum. And um, it's it's definitely fascinating to see how uh, things played out. And like you said, the culmination of both teams at the Super Bowl. Um, George, I want to butt in and ask one question. So one big function that you and your organization have here, the NFL Players Association, is to negotiate the collective bargaining agreement, the CBA, which is the basically the con- work contract, right, between the players and the and the league, which is the team, which are the teams essentially? Um, it seems like a long time ago that the last one was negotiated, and there was the lockout. But it's almost time. I'm guessing that you're preparing to negotiate the next one, right? The next one's eligible in a year and a half or two. Is it? Uh, the current collective bargaining agreement expires in 2021. 2021. So okay. preparations are being made right. now. Yeah. We just left uh, our player board of player representatives meetings. Uh, in sunny, glorious Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can imagine that we are doing everything we can to prepare for renegotiating the current uh, deal right. or preparing for the inevitable inevitable lockout <laughs> or strike. So here's my question um, coming off of what Salman was asking about Kaepernick and the way that he observed that like, <clears throat> you know, politics worked its way into football on a lot of different levels. I'm just really curious how you think 
the experience of the players, especially the African-American players in the NFL during this past, whatever, 18 months or so, how that will affect the tone of the players' um, desires or requests or requirements and their relationship to ownership during the the negotiations for the next CBA and whether you think that will complicate. I'm, I'm just really curious to know, and I'll turn things back over to you. Yeah, that is something that we talk about regularly, and it manifests itself in the player voice. So football has taken, I think, unfairly a knock for being, you know, a weak sports union and players not speaking out and players not demonstrating regularly. And, you know, in the same way that you might see, you know, athletes in other sports, namely basketball uh, or baseball. But for the first time, I think in a long time, people and fans look to football players as being, um, sort of the the outspoken ones of the bunch. And I think that spirit and that uh, identification of their power is going to be very valuable come time to renegotiate. I mean, the power dynamics in business in the business of sports are no different than others than other businesses. If you're the boss and you quote unquote own a team, the power is going to be and the leverage is going to be on your side. So you have to find a way as labor to try to match that in some ways. And we happen to be a very highly visible sport. So the player voice and the players' public uh, voices together, uh, I think, are going to be really important. Going back to the idea of the lockout or the actuality before, you used to work at Corvus, did I pronounce it? Yeah. Which is a communications firm. Uh, you specialize in Middle East relations, which can be pretty volatile. So would you say that that kind of crisis management and just dealing with many different people, do you, did that really help you when you had to negotiate the CBA before? It only helped me to the extent of keeping a perspective on things, that this is work and some of the issues that we were dealing with were life and death. Yeah, of course. And I also try to you know, maintain a level of humility too. Like when I was at my previous stops, the responsibilities were, you know, way down the food chain. Um, and, and, you know, they still are to a certain extent here, but uh, you do have a healthy dose of humility when you look at some of the things that you suggest or advise or, you know, on the communication side or on the public relations side or the crisis management side. And you see that, um, you know, maybe you're lucky if uh, 10, 15, 20% of that mm-hmm advice gets implemented or taken. Here at the NFLPA, it's a more reflective um, role where we really try to serve the will of the players. And so when we do an interview or when our executive director does an interview or when you know we try to make a public statement about something, the collective 2,000 active players and our former players are always top of mind. So it's slightly... Different, but there's no doubt that it helped um, in terms of keeping perspective of what this is all about. Before we go, I just have one question for you. Oh boy! So <laughs> it's not that bad. So you know a lot of NFL players. So can you tell us just one fun story, like a, a personal story about a player? I'm just curious. Just give us a good one. Funny or anything? You, what do you? A good one. So this is going to be a little cheesy, but. Hi. Most NFL players, the you know the the perception out there in the public is as most you know wealthy professional athletes might be, 
fast cars and going out and hitting the clubs and um, you know this this sort of vision of uh, of them as um, you know larger than life, which physically they are. Let's be serious. <laughs> <laughs> These larger than life rich figures. Um, but the reality is, you know, in nine years, I mean, I can't think of a. I mean, we were in Las Vegas just a week ago, and players were there for with you know with a real focus and determination on their business. So, um, Eric Winston comes to mind, mm-hmm. who's technically still an active NFL player. He's our union president. Uh, he's got a family of three, like myself, his wife Jenny. Um, you know, they have three kids. He, um, is a guy that is acutely aware of his fragility in the business. He's been lucky enough to play 10 years, but had a serious injury while he was playing and still suffers from that injury. So a lot of our interactions are not, oh my gosh, how much, you know, luxurious things are we going to buy? It's more, how's your health? How's your family? What are you going to do post-career? So now, you know, he's thinking about what he wants to do after football. Those are the conversations that I think 90% of my interactions with players have been about. This was really good. It was really fun. Thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you for coming, George. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. And yeah. uh, let's hope that the fortunes of the Gunners turn They're as not, a result of this. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Come on. We'll see. Come on. We'll see. Uh, do you have a sign-off? I don't, so... I got one. Right. Do you mind if well, I... Explain, it to, explain to George first. Well, we always end with... A f- well, he'll catch it in a minute. Right. It's a f- signature phrase with a little customization every time. Ready? Mm-hmm. Our friend George is Lebanese. John Elway is too. It's not footy for one, it's footy for two. <laughs> Thank you, George. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Nice talking you, to you, George. George.